I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2008. It's with the great Indian chef Raghavan Ayer, who happens to be a friend of my brother Steve. Recently, Steve reached out to me to give me an update on Mr. Ayer. Four years ago, Mr. Ayer was given a very serious cancer diagnosis. But four years later, he is still very much with us, fighting hard and doing as well as can be expected. Mr. Iyer, because of his recent experiences, has undertaken something called the Revival Foods Project, Global Comforts That Heal, trying to get healing foods from other cultures to patients who are suffering through chemotherapy and other health difficulties, particularly wanting to get these kind of foods into hospitals and other health care settings. I'm reaching out to Mr. Iyer, hoping that I can record a new interview with him. In the meantime, here is an interview about one of the most notable of his many cookbooks, a book called 660 Curries. Enjoy. Well, we are going to have a delicious few minutes now, speaking with an award-winning chef and a chef and cooking teacher by the name of Raghavan Iyer. And... Uh, uh, Raghavan Iyer is responsible for a, a wonderful new book called 660 Curries, The Gateway to Indian Cooking. And in this book, we uh, learn exactly what the term curry means. And it means actually different things in different places. But of course, it means more than anything, a, a rich, wonderful array of dishes that uh, come to the world from the colorful nation of India. And uh, Raghavan Iyer uh, comes at this task with uh, a lot of expertise and uh, has won awards as a, as a cooking teacher. He's also the author of the Betty Crocker Indian Home Cooking uh, book. And uh, this latest book is really a beautiful work of art with all kinds of recipes and all kinds of fascinating information about curries. Uh, 660 Curries is published by Workman Publishing. And Raghavan Iyer... We welcome you to the morning show. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Greg. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's not the book we're specifically talking about today, but I keep finding my eyes drawn back to the title, Betty Crocker's Indian Home Cooking. I mean, in a sense, that really shows us something about how much the world has changed, the culinary world. That, uh, I mean, 50 years ago, the thought of a Betty Crocker book concerning itself with Indian cuisine would be just unthinkable. And now uh, it obviously exists, and, and uh, we are just part of this global village in which we are starting to really understand and appreciate and enjoy one another's foods. Perfect time to really appreciate the diversity and the variety that you find in the world of Indian curries. And I think, you know, people always ask me, you know, 660 curries, is, is there more? And I said, yes, there is, and I got tired after 660. Um, um, but I think, you know, when you think about the world of Indian curries, I always say it's interesting because curry itself is a word that is not spoken in any of the 23 languages in India. We have words that sound similar to curry, and they all are words that signify dishes that have a sauce or a gravy to it. So... When it comes to Indian curries, I always say associate the four S's with it. They're saucy, they're spicy, they're simple, and they're sensational. Mm -hmm. Sort of like me. <laughs> I think one thing that's interesting uh, is the image you, you use of, of being a chemist. 
Uh-huh. And, and that comes up quite a lot in the pages of this book in describing the way you cook and uh, even the, the process of, of trying to get a, a tight handle on the term curry itself. I mean, mm-hmm. in a sense for you, this has been uh, a, a bit of a scientific uh, undertaking as well. It has been. And I think you know, as a cooking teacher of 18 years, I always said the best tool I can give my students is to empower them with... Um, with what um, curries are all about, and I, I wanted to teach them uh, and give them the tools that um, let, let it happen. And um, it's all about building that saucy repertoire. And you know, to give you an example, um, you know, when you think about we are entering um, really uh, grilling season here shortly, and uh, I always say a perfect thing to do is to if you take... Uh, if you love lamb, but uh, you could take uh, lamb chops from the rib rack, and you can slice it. And oftentimes, I would say you could take a little bit of a ginger and garlic and rub it over the lamb, and then um, grill it on uh, an outdoor grill. Now, it's not a curry at this point in time, but you bring um, you 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 take a little skillet and then drizzle a little bit of oil and throw in some cumin seeds in that hot oil, which will sizzle in about five or ten seconds. Throw in a little bit of red onions and um, add some um, uh, tomatoes to that with some fresh herbs like cilantro and chilies. A touch of salt, and then all of a sudden you've got the sauce component that you're going to drape over uh, the grilled lamb chops, and you have an incredibly savory, delicious, layered dish within 30 minutes, hmm. start to finish. Let um, me um, let me reread the definition, which I think you 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 gave uh, sort of a. a a condensed version of at the top of the interview, you define a curry as any dish that consists of meat, fish, poultry, legumes, vegetables, or fruits simmered in or covered with a sauce, gravy, or other liquid that is redolent of spices and or herbs. I guess that last part is especially crucial because if you leave that out, then something like hamburger helper almost qualifies as a, as a curry. But of course, uh, you know, hamburger helper or anything like it that comes out of a box uh-huh. does not give us that uh, wonderful array of spices and herbs that you say are really central to the cuisine of curries. Absolutely. And uh, I've always said, you know, herbs and spices are the backbone to Indian curries, even though there are many curries in India that don't have any spices in it, but just fresh herbs, for instance. Uh, there's a wonderful um, eggplant dish that comes to mind. Um, the vegetable curry chapter alone has over 200 recipes in it. And I have a really nice eggplant that I, I grill or broil, char the skin out, and then you could um, take the pulp and mash it. And then I have actually stir-fried that with a little bit of oil or clarified butter and throw in three ingredients to flavor it, uh, fresh garlic, uh, red chilies, and salt. And that's it. And it's an incredibly layered dish. And uh, Oftentimes I will take that um, and um, slather that onto pieces of crusty crostinis, and then you could do a great uh, appetizer out of it and serve that um, with what Indians do. You serve it with scotch. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, but it is, um, uh, it is a wonderful way to explore the world of curry. By the way, uh, help us understand, uh, I guess, a misconception that is, uh, a, a lot of people assume that if you're talking about a dish with the name curry, then it's obviously something in which you've poured a bunch of 
curry powder in. Yes. And in fact, that isn't really directly the case at all. What does curry powder have to do with this whole cuisine? Is it just one of many possible elements? No, actually, curry powder is, is I've always said, no self-respecting Indian home kitchen has curry powders in it. <laughs> <laughs> curry powders are non-existent in the Indian home kitchens. Uh, the, 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 the concept of a curry powder originated um, uh, with the um, English being in um, India in the early 16th century, and they loved the flavors of uh, some of the sauces they've tried, and they captured that into a bottle um, uh, called curry powders, and uh, they have done an amazing job of marketing that to the rest of the world. I've always said curry is never added. It just is. Uh, and uh, I think all of a sudden, when you think about it in that context, you realize that uh, there's such a depth to the layers of curries in Indian kitchens. Hmm. Uh, but uh, curry so so curry powder, in a sense, is um, is a shortcut and and not a very good shortcut at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it in in a sense, uh, it is the antithesis of what your book is all about, which is yes. this almost limitless array of spices and herbs that, that make all of this so wonderful. Absolutely, and I think you've hit the nail on the head with that. Um, when, when you use curry powders, you sort of pigeonhole your flavors, and uh, you really don't have that remarkable array of flavors you get. Um, I, I, I talk about, in the spice chapter, I talk about how we can extract eight flavors from a given spice. And uh, these are all distinct flavors that are poles apart. And then you take that concept and multiply that by the hundreds of spices we use, you've sort of taken a peek into the world of Indian curry. Hmm. Um, so it is um, um, it, 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 it's a groundbreaking concept, and I think a lot of people don't realize the depth of um, Indian curries. 660 curries is a lot, and I've always said there's actually, you know, I wanted to do a thousand and one curries. <laughs> and um, when you think about it in that context, I think it opens up a whole new world. Sure. We're talking with Raghavan Iyer about his book, 660 Curries, The Gateway to Indian Cooking. Just to uh, let's let's go with spices for a moment, because mm-hmm. this is an especially interesting chapter in the book. You devote a whole chapter to spices, uh, spice blends and pastes. One of your most basic bits of, of advice, and we've probably received this advice from others, but you're very persuasive in saying how important it is that we buy our spices in their whole forms. Uh, explain, first of all, what you mean by that and why that is so crucially important. Sure. Um, I think, you know, when I talk about buying spices in the whole seed form, to give an example, even if you take uh, cumin seeds, you know, which uh, everybody is so familiar with, um, when you buy um, uh, spices like, first of all, uh, whole spices will keep um, for quite a while, uh, I would say at least uh, even a couple of years, outside the refrigerator in an airtight container. Um, and um, uh, because why I, I talk about buying whole spices, is uh, as I alluded to earlier, we and extract eight flavors from a given spice to run through very quickly. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what some of those flavors are. When you um, 
use the spice as is in the whole seed form. You get one flavor. When they're ground raw, you get a second flavor. When they're dry toasted left in the seed form, you get a third flavor. When they're ground after it has been dry toasted, you get a fourth flavor. When they're sautéed in some kind of a fat left in the seed form, you get flavor number five. When they're ground after they've been sautéed, you get flavor number six. When they're soaked in some kind of a liquid used in the seed form, you get flavor number seven. And then when they're ground after they've been soaked in a liquid, you get flavor number eight. And then keep in mind that the kind of liquid you use will change the flavor of the spice. Hmm. Um, And so they just get deeper and deeper. And um, that's one of the reasons why I think um, buying whole spices and teasing all these different flavors out of it makes it so fascinating. Hmm. And this chapter of the book not only then gives advice on how to store whole spices and various ways to grind them, but then you have what really appear to be recipes for spices, for, that is for spice blends, for putting sure. different spices together in, 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 in absolutely wonderful ways. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, oftentimes when you start to cook from the book and you'll make all these curries, you will find yourself coming back to the spice blend and paste chapter to uh, put together some of the blends. And keep in mind, these blends, each and every blend, I would say 99% of them will take you five minutes or less to put together. And uh, some of these dry blends will keep for two to three months outside the refrigerator. So all of a sudden, when you do it one time, five minutes or less, you will have it on hand every time you want to do something very quickly. And um, uh, I also talk about in that chapter, I give you sort of a five, the top five or top seven blends and pastes you can put together that will cover, let's say, 60 to 70% of the book. Um, so it is a, a very efficient way of doing it. And also, um, it, it perks up your everyday affair in, within minutes. Um, I also have a chapter uh, on what I call curry cohorts um, that are designed to complement the flavors of curries, everything from rice dishes to uh, uh, flatbread condiments and pickles and yogurt accompaniment uh, that uh, enhance the uh, eating experience of curry. Hmm. Um, so it is uh, a complete way to, uh, I've always said 660 curries is one curry a day for two years with time off for holidays. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, one thing that's intriguing in the in the in the body of the book where you have all kinds of different recipes, many of them your own, but some from others, is that almost without exception, I think, when a recipe is from someone in your life, you tell us a little bit about them. You tell us their name and often what they do for a living. And uh, I don't remember ever seeing that before in a cookbook. And I think it's such a wonderful choice you've made. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, oftentimes... um you, you, you alluded to the fact that we live in a global market now, and, uh, and I think food is the medium that connects uh, cultures and people. And when you, um, when you start to personalize uh, a dish that could be exotic-sounding and very foreign, but then you personalize it and then attach a name and a character and a little story to go with it, uh, I think um, that becomes very universal all of a sudden, and it is no longer foreign and strange. And I always wanted to bridge cultures and bridge gaps, and I think uh, talking a little bit about 
where the recipe comes from, who provided it, a little bit about their life, I think, uh, makes it much more um, in-your-backyard sort of a concept. Uh, and that's really one of the things I wanted to do in, in, in this book. Hmm. Uh, I'm glad you, um, you saw that and you appreciated it. And I, I hope that a lot of your listeners would feel the same way. I was intrigued to find mention, uh, particularly in the poultry chapter, but I'm sure in, in other sections as well, mention of the Indian walk, W-O-K. Uh-huh. Uh, is that uh, significantly different from uh, the walk that we know from other cultures and cuisines? Yes. Um, we actually, uh, our Indian walks are called kadhai. And you keep in mind that um, our kadhais have been in existence for I would say over 5,000 years, because India is a country that is um, at least 6,000 years old. Um, And um, our walks are very, um, they're they're very similar to actually some of the Japanese-style walks. They have a much more of a rounded bottom, um, and um, our walks in India don't have handles. And we have um, pliers, they look like pliers or tongs. And we hold on to our walks, and we do our stir-frying and our simmering and so on. Uh, and they can range. Most of our walks tend to be actually of cast iron. There are some walks that are done with um, clay. There are some walks that are done with um, um, with anodized metals. And so the um, transfer and the retaining of heat is really quite optimal. Um, so they do range, and you get some phenomenally delicious flavors out of them. Hmm. We use our woks not only for stir-frying, but in fact many of our curries that often require simmering and stewing, uh, the woks work really well, especially when they're well seasoned. Um, and so um, I do end up using, I do have quite a, a wonderful array of woks, some of which I brought back from India uh, on numerous trips that I do, food and cultural tours to India. And so when I come back, I come back with uh, some different kinds of utensils and woks, and I just um, I, I love how they how they uh, how the curries do have such interesting flavors and techniques that you can um, create right. in those um, vessels. There's a, a whole chapter devoted to uh, legume curries. Another uh-huh. to uh, uh, beef and pork and lamb, another to uh, seafood, another to poultry, another to vegetable curries. You say uh, the Indian people are particularly masterful when it comes to evoking wonderful flavors uh, from from the world of vegetables. So yeah. there's going to be something for just about everybody in the pages of this book. I'm just curious, for those of us who really only know Indian cuisine from having maybe visited an Indian restaurant. I'm, I'm prompted to ask this question because I recently interviewed a, the author of a book about Chinese restaurants who emphatically made the point that uh, your typical Chinese restaurant is serving food that is really not Chinese at all, at least in terms of the kind of food that people in China eat. What about Indian restaurants here in the United States? When we go to one, are we at all experiencing what the, what the good people of India eat? Um, more often than not, I think you are not experiencing the gamut of flavors and textures. Uh, most of the Indian restaurants in the Western world feature a very small part of Northwestern Indian cooking, the cooking of Punjab and the cooking of the Mughal court. Uh, the Mughals had a very strong influence in, 
Indian cooking and culture um, and architecture in northern India, and uh, they were the rulers just prior to the British taking over. And so you see a small slice of that represented in Indian restaurants and dishes like tandoori chicken or naan or some of the four limited curries that you find um, in, in these restaurants. And so the flavors are much more um, limited, and it, it doesn't show the extent and the full-bodied nature of some of the uh, saucy repertoires you find back in India. And so uh, very reluctantly, I say, they show a very small slice of that region. Hmm. And, um, um, if you've never had Indian food, I'd say a great place to start would be at an Indian restaurant, just so you you get accustomed to something. But keep in mind, I, you know, as a cooking teacher of 18 years, I've had students that keep coming back to me and said, you have spoiled Indian restaurants for us because um, the foods are, uh, when I cook uh, Indian food at home, uh, it just takes it from level one to level 99 in a matter of minutes. And I think uh, that, to me, shows really the beauty and the depth of, uh, of working with some of the herbs and spices hmm. that form our spicy repertoire. The book, again, is called 660 Curries, The Gateway to Indian Cooking. All kinds of wonderful information and illustrations, a plethora of uh, terrific, fascinating recipes, and all kinds of little sidelight facts about cuisine in India, how the how how someone in India sits down and eats a meal, uh, backup information about uh, some of these interesting foods. Uh, it's an absolutely fascinating book, and it's published by Workman and its author Raghavan Iyer. Raghavan Iyer, I enjoyed this book so much. I uh, look forward to the uh, challenge of using it, and I so enjoyed talking with you about it. Best wishes to you. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for letting me come into um, your studios and into all your listeners' homes. And I really uh, wish that uh, people would get into it and um, adopt the whole concept of Indian curry on a daily basis. Raghavan Iyer, we thank you again. Thanks again, Greg.